Welcome to In Their Element, a fascinating new podcast series offering a revealing glimpse into the unfolding careers of passionate science grads from South Australia's number one uni for science, the University of Adelaide. In this episode, we're chatting with Philippa, or Pip Edwards, who's now absolutely smashing it out there in the workforce in what is definitely up there with the best jobs in the world. Yep, she is a puppy education supervisor. Pippa graduated from the University of Adelaide's Roseworthy campus with a Bachelor of Science, Animal Science. Also on offer at the same campus are a Bachelor of Science, Animal Behaviour, Bachelor of Veterinary Technology, and Bachelor of Science, Veterinary Bioscience. Pippa now works at the Royal Society for the Blind, where we are recording today. Pippa, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for having us here. And thank you to Lulu, who's also joined us. Beautiful little pup. Flaked out of sleep now. And we've got a bowling tournament going on. Yes, we have. The RSB Hall gets used by vision impaired clients of ours and they do like lawn bowls, but indoor. So yeah, they, they get quite rowdy, quite competitive. I've been hearing some giggles. <laughs> yes, and a bit of fun. No, it's all good fun. They make a big day of it. So Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. They were taking it very seriously. Oh, yeah. It's, it's competitive fun, but there's, you know, a little streak of competition. <laughs> Well, we'll come back to the work you do with the RSB, but first, as a little icebreaker, we ask every guest on the show, what is the coolest scientific fact or discovery you know of that you think needs a little moment of appreciation? Well, naturally, given my role in life and my (laughs) slight obsession with dogs, I'm going with their olfactory receptors. So dogs have um, up to 300 million olfactory receptors in their noses and we've only got six million so it's pretty incredible and I guess that's where the scent detector dogs uh you know detecting not only you know drugs and and Mm. explosives but also being able to scent when someone's about to have a panic attack or their blood sugar is getting low things like that their ability to pick up on the slightest changes in our the scent that us cells are giving off is pretty incredible it is so cool they are so clever <laughs> they are i love and them cute. so much and so yeah. cute <laughs> so oh my gosh let's talk about puppies because okay. oh my god how could you start anywhere but with puppies if i have to <laughs> <laughs> you pretty much have everyone's dream job and including my own dream job tell us about what you actually do So my role is a puppy education supervisor. (laughs) Yes. When I saw that the job ad went up with the word puppy in it, I was like, how can I not apply for this job? Obviously. It's a dream. How Um, could you do anything else in life? Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, it is pretty incredible. I do get to obviously work with puppies, but a big part of my role is um, supervising and training volunteers to train the puppies. So it is a really unique role in that I get to work with both people and dogs, but yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing and challenging in the sense that I'm always having to adapt how I'm teaching people and how I'm training dogs because the combination of a dog and a person is, is so unique. Yeah. Um, there's no two styles exactly the same that will work for two dogs. So, um, yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> so these are pups destined to become guide or assistant dogs yes. in the community. And uh, I read that, you know, as you just mentioned, not only is there kind of no cookie cutter approach, but also a large part of the training involves the people more yes. than the dogs. It is. It is. And that is, it's such a big part of my role. And as much as people think that all I do is play with puppies. Um, <laughs> I'm which... really disappointed if you say anything. Other <laughs> um, look, it is, there is a lot of good to my job, but it is, you know, training people is a huge part of my job. And 
Um, not just that, but recruiting volunteers. I'm out there doing talks, doing things like this, anything to get RSB's name out there, getting volunteers interested. If anyone would ever be interested in volunteering with us, I urge them to give us a ring and have a chat because, mm. um, you know, we would not be able to place dogs without volunteers because we would not be able to place dogs um, that haven't been raised. So, um, you know, they're not born guide dogs. They're trained by the hard work of the volunteers and the support of, of myself and my colleagues. Huge part of my job is working with people and the puppies are a huge benefit. <laughs> just, yeah. Well, I hear you've had 18 new benefits. Just join the family. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we had a very big week uh, two weeks ago now. We had Pups born on a Sunday, pups born on a Monday, and pups born on a Wednesday. Oh so, my gosh. Um, 18 pups joined our RSB family uh, a couple of weeks ago. So they are about three weeks old, which is my favorite age. Um, oh. I think personally, I believe they peak in cuteness at three oh, weeks old. Wow. They are that just, is a big call. Um, you don't, you can't, <laughs> I can't. Like I see dogs every day, but I see three week old puppies and I still turn to mush. Like I just love that age so much. I was so devastated that they weren't actually on site I'm today. I'm so sorry. We, no, but we're also glad because yeah, then how would you we get even no get anything done? done? Yes. <laughs> they. I go there for visits and you just waste an hour just staring at them. Oh my god. <laughs> They're just so beautiful. Yeah. So you mentioned they don't get born guide dogs. What is the actual process from this early stage? Even the fact that they go into homes from three weeks is so young. What is the process of training them? How long does it take? And, you know, are there particular breeds that work best? And what kind of activities do you do to prepare them? Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's another part of my role as a puppy education supervisor, overseeing the breeding program. So myself and my colleagues um, get to decide the matings, so picking the mums and the dads. We then support mum during um, her pregnancy, making sure that she's, you know, she's at her peak health. And then we are there for the birth. So we get called up because dogs usually have their babies in the middle of the night. Um, so my Sunday whelp started at 12, oh my, my Monday, gosh. yeah, midnight. And my Monday whelp actually started at 9 p.m. So that was really nice of her. Um, oh, and wow. the Wednesday one was an all-nighter as well. So, you know, they always have them in the middle of the night because they go back to their instincts of doing it at the safest time. So right. we try to be there to support the volunteers because we have such a broad range of volunteers that come to us, some that have had dogs before, but some that have never had a dog in their home. So, oh, wow. um, you know, our whelpers are really incredible people. Our whelpers are the people who look after the, the mum dogs. And, yeah, they're really incredible. But the birth can be, you know, a really long long thing it like can last 15 hours you know oh. so um we're there supporting them and making sure that mum's doing well making sure that the pups are all um you know safe and healthy and you know once they're born that's actually when the training really starts we're introducing things to the pups at appropriate times the pups are born without their eyes or their ears open so all they've Whoa, got yeah <laughs> yeah so they're just like little worms oh, um little yeah little slugs really cute slugs but they don't do a lot. They just, you know, <laughs> wriggle around and squeak and find mum. But so around age two, three weeks, their eyes start opening and then their ears start opening. So we're introducing different things to them, introducing different textures, you know, just having a different a rubber mat in their soft welt box. You know, we're just introducing things like that so that they're best prepared. So as their development goes with their sight and their hearing, we're introducing noisier things, mm. you know, more challenging things. You know, they have to you know, climb up a bridge when they're seven weeks old or, wow. you know, do little things like that. But it's all best 
to set them up for their puppy education. So it's <laughs> still the kid. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so at eight weeks old, they go out to their puppy educators yeah. and then, you know, that's where the one-on-one training starts. So before they're with their mum, they're with their siblings, they're learning a lot of social things and um, etiquettes from their mum that we can't possibly teach them. So um, at eight weeks they go out to their puppy educators and that's where, you know, how to behave in the home starts, walking well on a leash. Um, We actually get them to toilet on command on leash. So everything that we do, we're doing looking at the future, looking at them going with a client um, who has no vision or very limited vision. So... Um, we want the dog to be able to toilet on leash and on command so that, um, you know, if you did have limited vision, um, you'd be able to comfortably toilet them and, you know, you're not going to walk into your backyard and step on a, a little present that they've left <laughs> a you. A so, for the family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, home behaviours are super important for, for anybody, you know, regardless of which program they go into. So, yeah, their puppy education lasts for generally 14 months sometimes longer sometimes shorter depending on the dog because very similar to people they all learn at different rates and they're all ready for the next step at different times so um, we generally bring them into formal training around 14 months old and then that's when they come to the office where we are today um, and they start their formal training in either the guide or the assistance dog program so yeah oh my god (laughs) what's the difference between guide and assistant dogs and what, yeah, why are they split off? So we started, the RSB um, Guide Dog Service started first. Um, so RSB has been around for over 136 years now. Wow. Um, so it was started by um, a man called Andrew Hendry White, who uh, was vision impaired himself and he started RSB as a place to um, employ vision impaired people and, and to make them feel as, you know, give them a chance to give back to the community. Um, so they started off in our factory, which is still running today, um, which is just across the car park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so now they do super cool things like thermoforming and um, cutting and a couple of fun things like packing show bags at showtime, which oh, it wow. always smells like fruit shocks here during showtime, which is incredible. <laughs> Not a bad thing. Yep. <laughs> Puppies um, and chocolate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, the factory is a huge part of RSB and then um, it grew and grew, providing different services um, to vision impaired people. So we have OTs, occupational oh. therapists, orientation mobility people. We have our low vision centre, which is providing different magnifying glasses, glasses, anything that would be an aid Um, you know, talking clocks, talking thermometers. Oh, that's Um, so cool. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And then in 2006, the guide dog service started. So, you know, they were just looking at how else can we improve someone's independence and guide dogs have been around for a really long time. So naturally um, that was, it's always been known of, but uh, we jumped on that bandwagon and opened the guide dog service in 2006. In 2014, we started Operation Canine, which is our assistance dog program. So there's a huge range of different assistance dogs. Some that I've already mentioned, the the dogs that detect panic attacks and mm-hmm. um, you know blood sugar, diabetes dogs, things like that. We went with dogs to provide to veterans suffering from PTSD. Um, so so fascinating and it's so rewarding (laughs) it's incredibly rewarding um don't get me wrong the guide dogs um, are just as amazing and they are changing people's lives and 
Mm. Um, no matter which client you speak to, just the difference that the dogs makes uh, gives you goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just about to ask, that was my next question. You know, <laughs> once they've graduated, I imagine it's not just about raising a healthy puppy and having lots of fun with very best friends, yeah. but also literally changing people's lives and enabling them to have the independence and quality of life that they couldn't have before. So what are some of the, maybe not even specifics, but just some of the stories that you've encountered or that you've been able to impact people's lives I think, in your career here? Yeah, so uh, I think it's incredible. Everyone is so different and um, the dogs mean so much to clients and it it could just be a client telling you that they went to the shops for the first time by themselves, oh. which they had never been able to do before. And with our clients that are, are vision impaired or blind, they often have to rely on a family member or a friend or a carer to be able to take them out safely. And a dog is able to do that for them and gives them that independence, which they couldn't have got through a white cane. Um, yeah. So it's pretty cool. A guide dog isn't for everyone and as an assistance dog isn't for everyone, but um, we've had some of our veterans go in a lift for the first time in 40 years. Small things like that, you're just like, you take that for granted totally. that we do that without thinking. But for them, that was the biggest deal. And when they send you a message saying, I just did this, and you can just tell how excited they are, it's, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Mess. Yeah, <laughs> all the time. Yeah, we have our <laughs> annual graduations, and I think. I tear up at everyone. <laughs> I've been here for like five years and it, it still gets me. Oh, my God. Yeah. As in the puppies graduate? Yeah, well, the when they go graduate. out with their clients. So we call oh, them a team. Okay. So when the dog goes out with their client, we call them that's their team. So when the team graduates, we do a celebration. And, oh. um, yeah, it's it's oh really cool. Oh, my gosh. Yep. <laughs> what if the puppies don't pass their training or just aren't suited because, as you mentioned, dogs have all different kinds of personalities just like us and um, I actually met one of the dogs who – actually – no, he was retired, but Lulu under the table yes. is now, what is she? Just your she's best friend? She's our PR dog. <laughs> yeah, she's a PR also dog. Also my best friend. A model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she wasn't suitable um, to work due to just a, a small health concern. So um, when we do put out dogs, we do want them at the, the best quality for our clients. We want them to have the longest, healthiest working life possible. And, mm. you know, she didn't quite make it. We were able to find a position for her as our <laughs> PR dog because unfortunately you guys can't see, but she is incredibly beautiful. She's um, so beautiful. Yeah, I, I may be biased. <laughs> I feel like she knows it though. Yeah. She's oh. like, hey, I'm the PR dog. She works it. Nice to meet you. Yes. <laughs> you get a camera out and she like poses. Yeah, and, she did for yeah. me before. <laughs> yeah. She knows it. So yeah, it doesn't happen too often, fortunately, because we have our breeding program that we've been working on since 2008. You know, we've been endeavoring to make the healthiest dogs and, and by us being able to choose. We also share genetics, not only within Australia, but internationally. So oh, wow. um, like Lulu's father father came from the UK um, so oh. we're able to collaborate with other schools that we have relationships with and under the bracket of uh, the International Guide Dog Federation everyone's doing the same thing and we're all working towards the same goal uh, we want to improve people's lives and their independence and uh, make a difference so everyone's yeah really friendly they do conferences every two years and it's you get to actually put faces to names of people that you've emailed and bounced <laughs> back and forth with and you're like wow you have a face. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, throughout sharing um, genetics, um, we're able to really hone down the breeding and make the healthiest dogs. So, fortunately, it doesn't happen too often. And the same with temperament. We're breeding the temperament to be a guide dog. They're not born a guide dog, but, you know, hopefully we've provided them with a the best start by breeding the temperament that we want them to be. Yeah. So, 
That's so fascinating that there's such a broader community out there. And I think that collaboration just reminds me so much about how the broader science community really shares knowledge for the greater good of humanity. And people outside science don't necessarily know because we hear of scientists coming out with new IP and like things that are one-off discoveries. But yeah, it's so cool to know. And you also mentioned genetics just then, uh, which brings me back to the fact that this all started from a science-based degree, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily what I would have expected a science grad would end up in. (laughs) But, you know, how did you actually prepare for this career you know for example when you were in high school like did you know that you could become a puppy education supervisor what led you to this pathway so mine wasn't necessarily a straightforward one when I was in high school and I I still really love cars um, but when I was in high school I was set on being an engineer oh my Um, gosh so originally I was accepted into Adelaide Uni once again, but in their mechanical engineering and sustainable energies degree, which excited me beyond belief. And it's still, I'm very curious about it. I would still love to do it if I could, but I took a gap year because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get a bit more life experience under my belt. Mm -hmm. I did some traveling. um, I did some work experience in some vet clinics. I did some volunteering at the Animal Welfare League. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah. So, you know, I was working full time and just at a supermarket and you know, money's great, but I was a bit bored. I've always loved animals. My parents will tell you ever (laughs) since I was a kid, I've always had a dog next to me or, you know, if there was a dog somewhere, I'd go find it. So I've always loved that. The opportunity, I don't know how I got the idea to be honest, but the opportunity came up to volunteer there and I jumped on it. Um, I started off just doing basic things. They have um, like different levels that you can just go and, and pat the dogs. You can just go and re- read to the cats. <laughs> oh my God. It's really cool. And, and then you kind of get more training and then you can start taking the dogs out for walks and take them to the beach. And um, you, you know, get promoted to like yeah. the next level of dog excursion. <laughs> and I, I have a drive. I, I, you know, I love to learn. I love to achieve things. So, um, you know, the fact that they had these different levels, I was like, right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm getting to the top and yeah. <laughs> climbing that ladder. Yeah. I was like, right, volunteering, I'm going to be the queen. So I went and changed my preferences and uh, <laughs> applied for animal science at Adelaide Uni. And that was the only one that I changed my preference to. If I wasn't going to do engineering, then this was the degree for me. So that is such a cool journey. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's different how I got there and it was really cool. Once I told my dad, he's like, right, let's drive out to Roseworthy. Let's go see the campus. Oh my so gosh. we did the drive out there and I, I saw the Roseworthy campus, which is really beautiful. Because that's a campus that's almost entirely animal focused, isn't it? So as well as your degree, there's also a Bachelor of Science, Animal Behaviour, Bachelor of Veterinary Technology and a Bachelor of Science, Veterinary Bioscience. There's just so many options. It's amazing. Yeah, I think they've got some agriculture as well, which, you know, all blends in. But it's a it's a beautiful mix of old buildings and new buildings and countryside, but in a yeah, modern twist. It's yeah. I love Roseworthy Campus. That's so yeah. cool. <laughs> I also think it's a great reminder that, you know, I think we all have this expectation that we're meant to graduate school and just know what we want to do mm. and then the option of how we're going to get there is so clear, but that's rarely how it works Not and there are all. so many different pathways into so many different jobs exactly. that it just you never expect it and I love that you didn't even necessarily know that there were jobs with dogs until yeah. you sort of had one and then were like, oh, I want to do this yeah. properly and then reverse engineered almost. Yeah. What degree do I need to do that? Yeah, it, problem solving and, you know, a little bit of back and forth, but I knew in my mind that I'd made the right decision. And then I was really lucky that the Animal Welfare League employed me 
um, during uni studies and oh. they were, yeah. So after I was volunteering for about a year, a position came up there. I actually worked there for four years wow. and I found some people who really believed in me. And I think that can go a really long way for someone. I think especially with women, having another woman building you up and supporting each other is, yeah, is really incredible. So I want to do that for someone one day. I want to be that person to build someone else up. So, yeah, I had a a few really amazing mentors at Animal Welfare League. When the Royal Society for the Blind advertised my position of puppy education supervisor. (laughs) I still love you saying that word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I spoke to them. I was scared to leave them because I loved the Animal Welfare League and I loved my friends and my support systems there but they were so encouraging and they gave me the confidence to apply and here I am now. <laughs> it's it's pretty cool. Supervising puppy education. Yeah. <laughs> Changing puppies' lives one at a time. Oh <laughs> well, if there are, you know, any aspiring puppy education supervisors listening, it's great to know there is a mentor out there who's yes. prepared to help support you through the journey. <laughs> so to give people who are curious about the actual you know, pathway to getting there. What are the three years that you spend on campus doing this degree like? When can you do electives? And I know you you do have to study, you know, more general animal production and welfare. Not You can't specialise necessarily in puppies straight away, which I think really makes sense to give you as much of a broad setting up for understanding animals generally. So yeah, what were your three years at Roseworthy like and what can someone expect going into the degree? So the first year was the really general sciences year. You do your chem, your bio, Um, I did physics because I still love physics. Um, (laughs) You know, you do that and you do one day a week out at Roseworthy. So um, you get a bit of time in the city, which I think as far as the university experience goes, the Adelaide University campus is on North Terrace. It's beautiful. It's it's right next to Runnell Mall. You know, it gives you that experience (laughs) of going to uni, whereas the Roseworthy campus is, you know, a bit tucked away. So I think it's really great that they do that year, that first year in in the city because it's it is a lot of fun um mm. as well as you know learning of course serious learning so <laughs> which can also be fun yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that that's your general science is really preparing you for the second and third years and then you start getting into the animal behavior and genetics and also that leads to breeding programs which is what you're doing now which i think is so cool yes and what's really cool is that Adelaide university have actually asked me back to do some lectures oh my god yeah that's awesome so I get to actually lecture future me's um <laughs> you're already being a mentor yeah to, to future puppy yeah. education specialists <laughs> yeah it's good fun so um it is really nice you mentioned the electives so the summer school and winter schools so I got to do the ethics animal ethics which was really interesting there's a biotech course which oh, I also wow. lecture at if anyone wants to is interesting yeah. <laughs> tell us about animal biotech um, so it's looking at, you know, the ch- well, my lecture is on the challenges that RSB faces. So not only recruiting volunteers and things like that, but, you know, doing artificial inseminations and right. um, looking how the future will be, you know, as science just keeps improving and growing and, and learning in this field, how, where we could be in, in 10 years. 20 years. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And so you just mentioned, you know, the use of biotechnology in in this area of animal science. What do you think the future holds for us? What amazing developments can we expect? I think in the guiding area, technology is improving so much, not only with your smartphones, but with other adaptive technologies. So um, 
everybody sees a vision impaired person with a white cane. That's, you know, what kind of comes to mind. But these days there's these tiny handheld units that use some sort of laser and they vibrate when you get to a wall. So rather than having the physical input through the white cane, it's just a little vibration that's, you know, so subtle and it's just to that person. You would just think that they're holding their hands in front of their chest. So where technology can take the guiding, the vision impaired area is is really exciting. Um, every conference we talk about the next step of, you know, driverless cars. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't think a guide dog will ever be not useful because a driverless car can get you there, but your car can't get you into the coffee shop. Your dog yes. needs to do that. So, you know, it is really cool. I think the guide dog will st- definitely still have a place in this world. As far as, you know, other areas, you know, you're looking at improvements in artificial insemination and, and making that process nicer and quicker and, and, and safer um, you know it's it's a surgery on the dogs when we we do an artificial insemination so improvements in that area will be amazing and the smallest things like the you know how we store semen and how we collect it and things like that it's all going to grow and change and, and just keep getting better. That's such an exciting future ahead. Yeah, it was really cool. I was looking at uh, there's even electives on like pig production and like you can go really specific if you want to or you can keep it really broad. There's so many options. You can and I think that's really cool. My friends from uni that I've made and and I definitely made lifelong friends at Adelaide Uni. Um, You know, one of my friends, my best friends is doing a PhD in in pigs production at the moment. Oh, my gosh. Which is so cool. (laughs) So it's pretty cool how we all did the same degree but we all had such – different interests yeah and we will spread out across Australia now that was actually my next question was you know what other jobs could you have considered and what did your peers go into because I think that's one another thing that people really underestimate about science is because I think we are taught at a primary school level that science is very specific and there's specific buckets and it looks like certain things I think we underestimate that out in the real world the applications are infinite like you can go into anything and that's I think an important thing for kids thinking about picking a degree is is don't necessarily be scared of a degree that doesn't have a specific outcome like Mm. if you go into a teaching degree and you want to be a teacher whereas if you go into animal science you're going to learn so much and you really get to pick where you want to go and just because you pick that doesn't mean you're stuck on that path forever I know people that have gone into cow nutrition you know are now actually working alongside me so you know it's it's really cool you can go into research, you can go into the labs, you can get more hands-on, be a farmhand. I've got another friend on a cattle station. So it's just really incredible if you're open to learning and trying new things and animal science is definitely for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think also there's a broader societal impact beyond just the individual as well that people don't necessarily make the connection with that, you know, our population is expanding so rapidly towards like 9 billion people by 2050. And that brings in broader social issues like food security and agricultural impacts where suddenly animal science isn't just we want to look after the welfare of the animals. It's like we want to look after the welfare of the whole population. Yeah, exactly. And it is the farmers are doing such a good job of, of keeping their animals happy and healthy mm. and science is right behind them, making sure that they've got the best diets, making sure that they've got the best vet care. You know, whatever it is, it's it's all science is behind it. So yeah. without researchers, without people thinking about how the world could be better, we wouldn't, yeah. Be progressing just, as no. much in, <laughs> in the areas. Yeah, I was reading as well about, you know, the, you mentioned biotech before and the use of technology in the field is also used widely for things like disease control and food quality and stuff that 
we take for granted that our food is safe and that, you know, crops are protected from disease and that animal communities are safe from things that won't transmit to us and, you know, all that kind of thing relies on science. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I think so many people, you know, they market the meat as hormone-free, but it's been so long since hormones have been used in those in those areas. So it's, you know, the marketing is, is taking the mick a bit to make yeah. people scared of other sources. So the farmers yeah. are doing the right thing. People yeah. have got to just trust that Australia's got your back. Speaking of farmers, I read there's actually a working farm on campus and a veterinary clinic. Yes. So how much of your degree is theory and how much is practical? Like, you know, are you doing labs and testing? Are you out in the field? Do you get exposure to animals? How much do you get to kind of get your hands dirty? It's really cool. So, you know, the first year you're only one day out at Roseworthy. So, you know, three hours out of the week do you get to do hands-on with animals. Um, But in your second and third years, depending on the courses that you pick, obviously, um, there's a fair bit. So they do have the cows they have pigs just up the road they've got chickens on campus um (laughs) it's so so cool I'm actually (laughs) petrified of chickens so that was like the biggest hurdle for me which was hilarious are you scared of chickens I'm scared of all birds wow yeah Yeah, which is for an animal interesting that's exactly yep (laughs) <laughs> yep. <laughs> so we had, I uh, actually was introduced to the University of Adelaide through Michelle Burkett, who's a senior zookeeper at the oh, yes. Zoo, yep. talking to her about her degree and how she ended up, you know, working with animals and fulfilling her passion and just loving every minute of her life. And I got to visit her at the zoo yep. and she has these huge birds of prey that come and mm. swoop down and like mm. sit on her hand. Sounds and she, like, like my nightmare. It, <laughs> she literally put it really close to my face and I was like, I'm good. (laughs) You're not cute and fluffy like everything else. Yeah. (laughs) I'll stick with the cows and the horses over the chickens any day. (laughs) Um, Oh, my gosh. But it is really cool. The the Roseworthy campus is is really incredible and everybody out there. Um, The vet centre has been there for a while, but they just recently built their equine specialty centre, which is very incredible if, if ever anybody, listeners, get to hear about a tour I'd definitely go have a look because it's really incredible they've set it up especially for horses which there's a lot to consider when you're dealing with animals that big and that heavy and it is really really cool out there so I feel like the collective knowledge base and level of facility and Mm. opportunity at this campus just that like I want to go on the tour I'm like some of the lecturers are just incredible people and you don't realize until you start doing a research paper and you google and suddenly there's like 20, 30, 40 articles coming up that they've written. Yeah. And you're like, my lecturer is so cool. Like, <laughs> he's published so many papers and you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing to have him who wrote that paper standing right in front of me, yeah. you know. That's, I think, another thing that's come up through this podcast is seeing how the community at the university seems to really, firstly, like pull talent together to bring everyone's collective experience and academia and, and everything together to make available to students the most possible yeah. knowledge base. But also that, you know, you get the opportunity to come back to the uni and stay involved and pass on your knowledge and experience to younger students. And Definitely. And I think I remember the RSB, they, the RSB did a lecture when I was there. Um, it is really. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> For it to be coming from people who have industry experience as mm. well and who not just have industry experience but are currently still in the industry, I think is invaluable for yeah. students to be able to access because theory and practice are so different. Exactly. You're getting both and giving both now. Yeah. And, 
you know, my journey was a little bit different to everyone else's because I didn't want to do production animals. You know, I was surrounded in friends that wanted to work with sheep and cows, but there is no one way to do university. That's so reassuring and inspiring. <laughs> and I do think we need to get out of that mentality that there is one way, one right way to yeah. do particular things. And the more I delve into these offerings, the more I realise that there is no pathway. No. There's pathways and... And you make it for yourself. Yeah. You create your future. Totally. So, you know, if you could do anything in animal science mm. with your background, like no restriction in, in like your ultimate dreamland, are there jobs or a problem in society that you would love to be able to solve? Or just work in an experience. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of stuff that I would love to do. I would love to become an assistance dog instructor, so to be able to train our Operation Canine Dogs. I would love to work with sniffer dogs or in the police. I, I think that's cool. really interesting. The training's really different. You know, that really intrigues me. Just learning about all the different therapy dogs and possibilities for animals out there. Um, you know, equine therapy. I, I do love horses as much as I've said that I'm companion. I, I have horses and I really love them. They can be companion animals. I mean, your horse to the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> so like there's equine therapies that are, are coming through now really strong in Australia as well. So uh, there's in this field it's endless so I can't there's no one thing that I want to do I just I want to keep learning and I want to keep trying to be better and yeah what an exciting prospect mm. that there are no limits I mean that's just I think so. an ideal scenario yeah you can change your career I think I'm young I'm only 27 oh I think so <laughs> I think <laughs> let me check uh, I don't know <laughs> time flies when you're an adult so, you know I'm still young so I still believe that I could have a career change but I'm I'm so happy in my field yeah that it, I don't think it would be a very big career change yeah if just I, dogs with different jobs exactly <laughs> just keep touching dogs every day I mean that can be a criteria though yeah right? <laughs> if there's no dogs in the office I don't want to go so well I nearly didn't come once I knew that the puppies weren't going to be Sorry, here I mean rude <laughs> <laughs> I thought Lulu, come I on. I know, she's such a sweetie. I just think it's so cool that animals have jobs. Like dogs know when their uniform's on, when their yeah. uniform's off, like they know the different sets of rules. It just fascinates me that they go to work like us. And they love it. Like yeah. it's not, I think, you know, there's some extremists that believe it's cruel, but I know the way that we train mm. dogs and I know that all of our RSB dogs are so happy and, and they love their work and, and we would never put a dog out that didn't yeah. because that's not fair and that's not who we are. We love yeah. dogs. So, you know, these dogs thrive off of work. They love it. Like their brain is kind of the equivalent of a toddler, like a three-year-old. So <laughs> when you're teaching them things, you've got to understand that there there are limits, yeah. but they can, they do remember things and they learn and it's, it's really exciting to see them push themselves and have the drive to work and it's, yeah. yeah, it's really cool. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. <laughs> what would you say to people who don't think science is for them? Because I think that's another barrier that people have this typecast of a scientist who's always loved sciences. And I, especially now from meeting a lot of graduates, I'm like, most people aren't that typecast mm -hmm. and the jobs that you go into also aren't the stereotypical jobs that you think it's so broad yeah I think you know you don't have to be the lab geek you don't have to be a geek at all you you know if you don't want to sit in a lab then you definitely don't have to you can get hands-on it's just be open to something that you didn't even expect you know you, you might end up in a job that you didn't know existed you may have never heard of the job puppy education supervisor because <laughs> I definitely hadn't you know if you'd asked me 10 years ago where I'd be I would never would have said this Oh, but it's wow. so cool. So I feel like you're going to have some fierce competition after this podcast, though. I know. Everyone's going to be like, gonna oh, be after my puppy. job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's all right. Maybe one day when I retire, you can have a. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining, Pip. No this was absolutely wonderful. So fascinating. Right. And uh, Lulu is actually the prettiest. She's very gorgeous. We might wake her up for a cuddle now. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks for listening to In Their Element. It's been an absolute pleasure bringing it to you. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the series and we'll send you an alert the moment our next episode drops. And more importantly, if the career path you've heard about here appeals to you, jump on the Uni of Adelaide website today to learn all about the science degrees that can get you there. Until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>